At first glance, Ghosts and Goblins looks like a fairly standard platform game. You play as a knight, fighting his way through a graveyard in order to rescue a princess who was literally snatched from your arms. It's hard though, really hard, and you'll have to depend on a lot of skill and a little bit of luck to fight your way through all six levels and chase down her kidnapper. But Ghosts and Goblins comes with a twist, one that frequently earns it a spot on the list of the hardest games of all time. Today, we'll look back at that twist as we tell the story of Ghosts and Goblins and its creator, Takuru Fujiwara. So stick around and join us for today's twisty trip down memory card lane. Good afternoon and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 97th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we tell you a story about one game relevant to the current week in gaming history. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week, we are looking back at Ghosts and Goblins, released as an arcade cabinet on July 7th, 1985. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who can be frequently found fighting demons in his underwear. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, wouldn't you prefer to wear, you know, I don't know, clothes or something more substantial, like armor or something when you fight demons? Well, Dave, sometimes you're you just don't have the time to put good clothes on. You're just sitting there eating pizza in your underwear and you get attacked and you got to spring into action. And, you know, it's also hotter than hell. Uh, so you're trying to keep cool. And, you know, what's the best best way just being down in your underwear, just doing judo and kicking demon ass. So you're saying all of the medieval like monks that would paint an artist had it wrong when they were depicting like knights in hell because they would be roasted alive. Well, that's the whole point. Wow, you that's... want them to be roasted alive because they're in hell. But the knights maybe, but not if you're trying to fight the demons themselves. You can't you can't go down there wearing armor and just be roasty toastied in your own armor. Exactly. You got to be like the monks wearing just the robes. The monks it had it right. That's that's a very very valid point. I had never I had never thought about the disadvantages of armor when fighting the demons of hell. Um good point. Well played. Well, what you been playing, brother? Well, Dave, this week has been a little bit of RuneScape some Rocket League, did a little bit of Forza, played a little bit of Tarkov, and most, actually also, the Turtles Arcade Shredder's Revenge, played a little bit of that, and Oxygen Not Included. Yeah, I got us all into that. That you did, damn you. And that took up like our entire weekend. And he, But you know what, though? It's fun... So it's a single player game, but we weren't playing. We were playing it socially, which was kind of cool. 
uh, we don't do that with a lot of single player games. In fact, a lot of us stray away from single player games because we like the social aspect, but we were like helping each other through the problems of the game together on stream. And that was, I get that was fun. I enjoyed it. So. Yeah, I mean, it was similar to how we would do with Timberborn or, you know, when I would be playing Meeple Station. Meeple Station. Seems we have a history of that. I've never played Meeple Station. Well, you're missing out. That's a pretty good one, Dave. Yeah, is it right up my alley? It's so similar to this. Uh, it's a um, oxygen not included. Honestly, it's it's an iso. I, I call it an isometric instead of a two D version. It's that similar. Have you played the other game by the same publisher um, of the oxygen? Mate, uh, yeah, of oxygen not included. Uh, don't starve. Alone, I have not yet. No. Or don't starve together. The multiplayer version. Nope. I think we have Don't Starve Together. I know I do because I've played alone and Together came with it. So um, I don't know. I'll yeah. look into it. <laughs> but enough about uh, th- that. That what uh, what games have you been playing other than Oxygen Not Included, Dave? Uh, I played Risk of Rain two in Rocket League, and I th- oh in House Flipper. House Flipper went on Game Pass, and I was like, eh, why not? (laughs) There you go. Now you can understand. (laughs) House Flipper. Uh, When you guys were doing other things, I was hiding the fact I was playing House Flipper, because it's on Game Pass, and Game Pass doesn't trigger Discord, so you guys had no idea. But sometimes when I was sitting there watching, I was just renovating houses. (laughs) Which is that's what I freaking do normally. It's so stupid. Ugh. It's so freaking stupid. But you know what? It was all, even to a certain extent, oxygen may include it. Like, it's thoughtful, but it's it's easy in one way. Like, there's no consequence. It's just easy fun to get lost in. You know what I mean? Absolutely. On the other hand, I wouldn't exactly call our topic of today's episode easy fun. In fact, it is notoriously known for being an incredibly difficult game, mm. and um, and we'll get to that. But let's go back to the beginning. Um, after attending Osaka Designer College, Takuro Fujiwara applied for an open position as a product planner at Konami. Now, he claims to have no idea they were developing video games. Uh, He only knew Konami at the time as a producer of amusement machines for arcades. And this was prior to actual video games, you know. I I went and I looked for some examples of what Konami did before video games, but I really couldn't find any specific examples. You know, it was hard back then. I'm guessing, though, it was things like slots or pachinkos, claw machines, stuff like that. that. I mean, that's what amusement machines, they were the mechanical arcade games before video games you know right no that makes sense but this was 1982 and and admittedly video games were in full swing you know um you know that's right on the decline of arcades 78 79 being the golden age so fujiwara was asked to work as an artist he started out making leaflets and the acrylic boards so for the games which is you know the boards on the arcades he so he did the design work And shortly after, he was asked to design his first game, Puyan. 
So Puyan is a 1982 arcade shooter in which you have to control a mama pig whose babies have been kidnapped by a pack of wolves. And you go, you have to basically rescue your, your babies by distracting the wolves with slabs of meat and then killing them with a bow and arrow. Wow. Right? That's pretty metal. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Shortly thereafter, in 83, uh, Fujiwara was asked to direct another arcade title, which is called Rock and Rope. Um, Rock and Rope is an early wire platform arcade game. It is basically the spiritual predecessor to Bionic Commando. Have you ever played Bionic Commando before? Does not sound familiar to me, no. So basically, as like later on, Fujiwara would go on to work on Bonnet Commando, and you can kind of see some of the things he wanted to do, but was really limited by technology in Rock and Rope. But, uh, you know, it was it was another early title. Shortly after doing Rock and Rope, he was asked to join Capcom. So here at Capcom, he worked as a director on Capcom's literally their very first video game, which if you don't know what Capcom's first video game was, it was a game called Volgus. So Volgus was released in May of 1984. That's when Capcom got their start in video games, and it was an arcade cabinet. It's basically a vertically scrolling shooter where you control a spaceship that's fighting against aliens basically nothing nothing more to it later that year he worked on a title called pirate ship hijimaru uh it's this weird i don't even know to be honest with you it was a weird title and then after working on these two arcade cabinets he joined as director two teams both of which that were concurrently working on new arcade titles so the first is a vertical run-and-gun shooter that is known in North America as Commando. In Commando, you play as a soldier named Super Joe, who is dropped off in a jungle by helicopter, and then you have to single-handedly fight off a massive assault of enemy shoulder soldiers to get out. It was a big hit. I remember it for NES. It was a lot of fun. And the other title that he was working on alongside Commando is the topic of today's episode. So initially, our game was simply known as Makai, which translates to Demon World. Or basically, it's what we know in the West, it's the Western notion of hell, right? But you can't call it hell. guess you can call it Demon World. I don't know. But they had incorporated, for instance, the fact that you were Sir Arthur, a knight, um, you know, fighting, and... They wanted to incorporate some of the medieval aspect of the lore, and so they named it Makaimura, which is Demon World Village, as in a medieval village, right? Now, when it was ported over to the United States, the name was changed from Demon World Village, which eh, sounds okay, to Ghosts and Goblins, and that's what we all know it as today. So in Ghosts and Goblins, you play, as I said, as Sir Arthur, and you have to defeat zombies, ogres, demons, cyclops, and dragons, whole slew of things, to rescue Princess Prinprid from Astaroth, who's the king of the demon world. Also known in the West as it was Satan. Basically, he's the equivalent of Satan. So, And 
realistically, Ghosts and Goblins looks like a really straightforward platformer, right? You have to run, you have lances to shoot things, you pick up different weapons, you fight, um, you get to the end of a level, you move on to the next level. If you get hit once, you lose your armor, If you and you're running around in your underwear. If you get hit, hit a second time when you're in your underwear, you, you lose your life. When you die... You either have to restart at the beginning, or if you hit the middle of the level, that's a checkpoint, you'd, you'd start at the halfway level, and there's also a time limit to complete each level. Now, the game's not very easy, Rob. Have, first of all, have you ever played Ghosts and Goblins before? Nope, I have not played it before. You haven't played Ghosts and Goblins, or Ghosts and Ghoulies, or Ghouls and Ghosts, or n- none of the variations in the entire series. I feel like you're just making up names now. <laughs> how about gargoyles quest or maximo any of those yeah you're just making up stuff now yeah no no i promise i'm not i don't know i remember playing ghosts and goblins i i it it was hard then and it's hard now i'll just put it that it it i i hate it <laughs> I, you know, you know, I struggle with difficult games. We've had this conversation when we talked about Dark Souls. You somehow got me to play Elden Ring. I enjoyed it, but it was difficult. I had fun with it, though. But in general, me and difficult games don't get along. And this was difficult as a child. It's difficult now. And it's just one of those games that's unforgiving, if that makes sense. Um. You have to have really good reflexes to get through the levels and so on and so forth. But that's not all there is to this game, and that's not why it's notorious. All right. So there are six levels. And when you get all the way to the end, the end of six levels, you beat the boss. Of course, you should be sitting there and feel very accomplished because you got to the end, right? Right. Except Ghosts and Goblins puts you all the way back to the beginning after you defeat the final boss and it makes you run the entire game all over again on a higher difficulty in order to get the actual ending to the game. Wait, what? Yeah, you have to play it twice on two different difficulties. And oh. it was and I, you, I OK, so I know by modern standards that doesn't sound pretty weird because we have things like game plus, you know what I mean? But we're not talking like you got this fake ending and it's like, he 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 he, you beat the game. Try to get on a higher difficulty. No, you didn't get the ending. You got kicked back to the beginning. Everything was ramped up to the nth degree and then you had to run it again to actually get the ending. So it wow. sucked and people that's, hated it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I personally, I think that's kind of fun of a thought. Yeah, I mean, if you actually do get through both of them, it's I mean, it's quite an accomplishment. This game is constantly on lists of the hardest games ever. And that twist that you have to play it twice. I mean, that that's also on list of video game twists. I think it's the first time that I know of a video game ever doing that they're having to be like a game plus or a play it over again or anything like that i don't know of an earlier one i could be wrong i've never seen that specifically called out i can't remember another one let's put it at that but it was i mean it was notorious me personally i don't know if i ever got past like the 
I, hell, if I was lucky enough to get past the first level, I doubt I ever got past the second level, admittedly. Um, I doubt I ever got past the second level, let alone get through the entire thing. I played it a little bit to see if I to see if my opinion on it changed. It has not. I've debated playing it with save states just to get through the game. Uh, I did not have time to do that, but I it matters not. This game is still a pain in my ass. So that begs a question, Rob. The game was a pain in my ass, but was it a pain in other people's asses? Well, Dave, that's a great question. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna have to do some reviewing to find out on that. Let's do some reviewing to find out if, if I'm alone and what I think about the game. Let's see. Uh, you know, you're right, Dave. Let's get right down to it. So we're going to start off today as we normally do with critic reviews. And right up front, we start with Brad Cook, who did a review of Ghosts and Goblins on All Game. And he writes that it unfortunately suffers from a flaw which many arcade games have. It's just too darn hard. That flat out, that's straight what the straight what he said. It's just too <laughs> darn hard. Just too darn hard. Yeah, he, he continues saying it throws way too many hard monsters at you in the first level, and the game controls hamper your movements so much that you'll find yourself having to spend several quarters just to make it to the second level. In his opinion, any arcade game should, depending on the game's design, of course, give you the first level easily, and then get tough in the second one. Players want a video game which lasts longer than the typical Mike Tyson fight for their quarter. That's a really good point that I'd like to discuss for a moment because I don't think we've ever really... We've talked about that, right? At least we've talked about the way arcade games are designed. Arcade games are designed, in theory, to want to get you to pump as many quarters into them as possible. So... How do you feel about that statement? Like, do you think that because it goes counter to arcade design, right? Because if you make the first level easy, someone's going to be standing there for a while beating the first level and then having to dump dump their quarters in the second one. Do you think that that's a good way to draw them in and, you know, that to make the first level super easy? I mean, it can go both ways when you really think about it, because for some people, that could be the hook that brings them in. But for other people, they could think, wow, that was really lame. I don't really care to continue playing this after I lose. Like, it just depends. It it really plays to the type of gamer that is looking to play that cabinet. Uh, same with any game today, even like with Elden Ring. Um, it, it's I think that when you have the first level easy, it it draws more towards the casual gamer who then once it becomes hard they're maybe less likely to want to continue playing but maybe the entire game has that same pace because that's the way they want to keep getting those quarters so it might ramp up a little bit but we're not going to go from hey this is really casual easy to oh my god i can't do anything which i mean i'm sure some games did but i think that less that would be less likely now, whereas in this case, starting out really hard draws in the hardcore gamer crowd, much like Elden Ring and Dark Soul series and things of that nature. So, you know, because you have those hardcore gamers who always want to play, they're going to be dropping them quarters left and right. Yeah, but if you're having fun, 
you're gonna drop quarters anyways you you know what i mean uh, i don't know I, I feel like that goes counter to arcade design giving him that much but on the other hand i've seen plenty of I've seen plenty of arcade games that the first level is a little easier, and I guess I get it too, so. What else did Brad Cook have to say about Ghosts and Goblins? Well, he continues talking about the story, how your character is this knight whose girlfriend was stolen by a demon. So, instead of just getting a new girlfriend, like any smart, reasonable person would do, uh, he goes off on a quest to rescue her. So you start with three lives and are allowed to get hit by enemies twice before dying per life. When you get hit once, your armor comes off. You get hit again while in your underwear, mind you, you're dead. Now, you do, of course, get chances to regain your armor, your armor courtesy of potions or pots, which some of the undead drag around, which, you know, a little helpful. It's the undead carrying around these pots full of armor. Just, uh, you know, just the undead. Yeah, you know, it's casual. It's They're just trying to help you out in your trip through hell to save your girlfriend. Fair enough. But Brad continues on saying that what isn't helpful is the way your character moves. When he jumps, he flails his arms and legs out and seems to go higher than he goes farther, which can make the game tricky when you have to jump onto, say, a floating landmass in order to cross a river. You also have to stop when you shoot at anything. You can't keep moving, which isn't helpful when you have enemies on both sides of you. Brad's biggest annoyance with the game, though, is the lack of ability to fire up in the air. Considering how many monsters can either fly or locate it on a hill above you, it would only make sense that you should be able to fire in directions other than straight across. You can crouch and fire lower than normal, but you can't shoot up makes the game harder so much harder for no reason sure we'll go with that yeah i don't i I mean i would think that you should be able to shoot up if you have enemies up that are going to be able to damage you but i don't know jump and shoot isn't that how most of them deal with it right right that is how most of them deal with it maybe you couldn't shoot while jumping i don't know maybe i missed that in this review here but i don't know but He continues saying that if the flaws were fixed, Ghosts and Goblins could be great. The scary organ music is entertaining, and the graphics are as good as you'd expect from a mid-80s 2D platform game. The characters are multicolored and look like what they're supposed to be. There's also plenty of texture in the environment, which makes the game pleasing to look at. It's always a shame, though, when the game, which looks nice, is brought down by playability flaws. And that's what happened here. Now, this is an Internet Era review in hindsight, and again, people always struggle to look for it as a ret- retrospective. What he calls playability flaws, I think, were more realistically technological limitations, and I don't I don't know. I, I think some of that's a little not fair, but that's just me. No, I mean, you got a point, but, you know, it's to each their own, I suppose. True enough. So next up, We have Claire Edgley, who wrote in Computer and Video Game Magazine a positive review. She wrote that a chase through a graveyard in the dead of night isn't everyone's cup of tea, but there are some who like being scared out of their wits. And those people will probably love Ghosts and Goblins. 
It all starts at the edge of a graveyard where a beautiful young maiden is tending your wounds. When suddenly an evil satanic creature swoops down and tears her from your grasp. Spirits are on your side, though, as you immediately stumbled into a suit of armor. Ghosts and Goblins is fast and intriguing. Well worth playing, if only to see what other horrors lie in store. I'm afraid the ghoulies got me every time. I didn't even see the goblins, which I presume are farther on. <laughs> yeah, they're farther on. <laughs> well, Claire never quite got there, but that's okay, because, you know, sometimes you just you just can't. You just no, can't, Dave. You can't. You can't at all. No, you can't. So one person liked it and one person found it too darn hard. Yeah, no, that it's, you know, it's the, the classic uh, Goldie Bear and the Three Locks uh, story. <laughs> you got one who thinks it's too much, one who thinks it's too little, and one who thinks it's just right. Just, just right. Just right. Well, let's find that just right person, shall we? Well... We'll see, because what we have next is actually the re-release of the game on Wii's Virtual Console, so it's going to be a little different, but, you know, it's still at least about the games, less so about the actual arcade. Uh, but, anywho, with that being said, we have Frank Provo, who said that many people consider Ghosts and Goblins an all-time classic in the 2D action genre. Do they, though? <laughs> uh, you know... You've never that's heard what, of it. That's what Frank said. I'm not I'm not saying that's true, but this wait, is what this is what Frank said. Wait, wait. Before we get further and you can see it in my notes, when do you think is the last time they released a Ghosts and Goblins game? Oh man. Um considering I've never even heard of it, I'm gonna say well, I, I, it's not going to even matter. It could have been last year and I still wouldn't know probably, but I'm going to guess somewhere around 2015. Okay. All right. We'll see. Carry on. All right. So. Frank continues saying that an equal number of people consider it simplistic, ball busting torture device. <laughs> that's best left buried in the past. <laughs> that's funny. Ghost of the Goblets is a simplistic ball busting torture device. Okay. All right. Good. good I mean, you, hey, that from what it sounds like, Dave, if you had so much trouble with the game, I think that's a pretty accurate way to uh, to, to call it. So either you so let's say that's his way of saying a love hate relationship, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> Bob busting torture device. That joker. Uh, Frank continue saying that both groups are right. And now that the Nintendo Entertainment Systems version is available on the Virtual Console Shop, you can spend 500 Wii points to find out which camp you belong in. Ooh, 500 Wii points. That's a blast from the past in itself. That it is. This whole thing is a blast from the past. That's right. So back in the day, Capcom Lord arcade goers and NES owners alike to Ghosts and Ghouls with its stylish graphics and unsettling music. Even today, watching Arthur throw lances at those scowling 8-bit pig monsters will give you the urge to pick up the controller. However, if you do pick up the controller, you'll fall into the same trap everyone else did 20 years ago. This game is sadistically difficult. Frank continues saying zombies crawl from the dirt relentlessly and flying creatures are constantly swooping down at you. 
dodging them is often a better strategy than shooting them because Arthur can only shoot left or right, not up or down. The bosses, which are typically three or four times Arthur's size, take multiple hits to vanquish, as do many of the so-called normal enemies you'll encounter as you travel through frozen forests, burned villages, and the Devil's Castle. On top of everything else, Arthur can only take two hits before he's dead. The first knocks his armor away, revealing his heart-speckled underpants. The next will turn him into a pile of bones and send you back to the beginning or middle of the level, depending on how far you've made it. Until you put in hours of practice, the going will be very slow because of all of the split-second jumps and surprise enemy the game throws at you. Thankfully, the controls never let you down. You may be overwhelmed by enemies or miss a moving platform because of slow reflexes, but the controls are always precise and responsive. That's ultimately what makes Ghosts and Ghouls so addictive. You know in your heart of hearts that you'll make it farther the next time if you just remember to take out that fire-breathing plant that zapped you the last time. The transition to the Wii hasn't hurt the responsiveness of the controls one bit. Although, you may want to hook up a classic controller just for the comfort that the rounded edges and buttons afford. Yeah, well, the classic controller was always better for all that stuff. So, Well, it, it just put you more in the nostalgia feel. It's more of that and than anything, because, you know, it probably felt more comfortable to use the newer, fancier controllers. But heck no, man, I was reliving my childhood on my new console, so I'm going to use the cool old controller. Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. Frank does say the one welcome aspect of the virtual console release is that exiting the game doesn't clear away the continue data. So you can gradually work through the quest without starting from scratch every time. Something you should think about, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hey, told- that's a way you can do it. I told you that was my thought was to do it with save states. That's the same thing. That's the same thing. It's already got it on there. Yep. Frank finishes by saying that this game is for those folks who consider dying a lot and investing countless hours of trial and error as two of the necessary components of a good side scroller. (laughs) Dying a lot. (laughs) Uh, That's funny. (laughs) I mean, definitely, definitely sounds like my kind of game. When you put it like that, I mean, dying a lot. Yes, please. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Alrighty, Dave. But with that, I do think it's time that we get away from the critics and move on to the real critics. You know, the people who pay to play these games and don't get paid to talk about them, but still take the time out of their day to talk about them. All of our friends here at the Gamers. All of our friends, all of our fellow gamers that have an opinion. Yes. Good on our friends for having an opinion. Good on y'all, because I have none. And with that, we will start with Katakis on Moby Games, who calls Ghosts and Goblins an excellent Catcom platform game with a few cool features. King Arthur is having a quiet picnic with his girlfriend, Princess Prinprin, when a demon kidnaps her and takes her back with him. Vowing to go rescue her, Arthur navigates the six areas full of zombies and demons with a variety of weapons. Access to the next area is blocked by a gate 
guarded by a boss who must be defeated to get a key. Mm-hmm. Graphically, Ghosts and Goblins looks quite nice for its time, and there are plenty of smooth animations everywhere you look. The overhead map looks excellent, and it is nice the game lets you know how long you have to walk until you get to the castle. The map is useful for checking whether you made it to one of the checkpoints. For the sound department, the background music changes every two levels, and so does the boss music. It is the type of music that you can always remember. Normally, when you're hit by an enemy, you would lose a life. However, this is not the case in this game. When you're hit by the enemy, you're stripped down to your underpants to make up for its difficulty. That's still one of my favorite parts of the game. Here, you get hit. Now run around in your boxers. <laughs> hey, it's just because you were too slow and too overheated with the armor. You got to go down and, and get ready to beat him up. That's right. Plus, who wants to fight a guy in their underwear? They're going to think you're crazy and just run away. That's very true. So once you're in your underpants, you get hit by an enemy one more time, reduced to a pile of bones. There are only two checkpoints in each area. And if you don't cover a certain distance, you're sent back to the start of the area. This high difficulty is common in other games Fujiwara has developed, not just Ghosts and Goblins. They finish review by saying to make matters much worse, you were sent back all the way to the first area again once you defeated the final boss the first time, and the game gets ramped up. Imagine how many people were furious that they inserted a lot of coins in the machine for nothing. When you defeat the final boss for the second time in a row, the game awards you with no ending, and you're just sent back to the first area once again. Then, it's just a matter of seeing how far you get without losing all your lives. <laughs> it's, it's true. I mean, yeah, but it, it sucks when you think about it that way. Like, you don't even get something cool the second time you beat it? Really, just a congratulations type deal. But, it, but I mean, to be fair, we didn't get a lot of cool somethings from games back then. There I were... mean, to be fair, we don't really now either. Now it's just multiplayer. Woo! That's, shoot them up, shoot them up. That's that's true. I, I will give you that. But, I mean, in terms of single-player experiences, we have a lot of storytellers nowadays. And back then, that just wasn't the case. We had storytellers, but, I, again, the technology wasn't there. You know, they had limits to what they could fit on a cartridge or a this was an arcade cabinet would have been a series of logic chips, you know, who needs a story when you can just make ramps with barrels being thrown down by a giant ape. Hey, that game has a story. Remember that. Uh, yeah, no, when you put it that way, you're right. It does. <laughs> it's a tale of love and revenge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Dave, next up, we're going to be talking about the NES port. Okay. And with that, we have J.P. Gray on Moby Games, who says that the legendary difficulty of Ghosts and Goblins is balanced by great gameplay. He goes on to write that this game is a classic because its immense difficulty can bring down extraordinary payoffs. That's his opinion of it? Okay. All right. How so? Well, Arthur, the hero of the game, seems to be designed to give the player an idea of what it's like to be one of the weak, fragile enemies in other platform games. One hit will knock Arthur backwards and strip him of his armor, 
leaving him in his red skivvies. Another will reduce him to a pathetic-looking pile of bones. The more difficult enemies require from four to a dozen hits to kill, and while you're facing these, innumerable weaker enemies that die with one hit are flying all around, waiting to catch you at an awkward moment. Also, at the same time, you must jump from platform to treacherous platform, face boss enemies that have immunity to certain weapons, and, oh yes, there is a strict time limit. Few games have ever asked so much of the player. There you go. Few games have unapologetically stacked the odds so much on the side of the enemy hordes. And this difficulty is there from the beginning. About a quarter through the very first level, one of the most devious foes in video game history appears. The Red Demon. True. This menace, once roused, will proceed to run back and forth, hurling fireballs at the player. If the player shoots, the demon will fly up, again shooting fireballs, and perform a death swoop that is almost impossible to dodge. If you attempt to jump it, the demon will fly upwards into you. If you stand still or duck, the demon will still hit you solidly. The only viable option? Run like hell. Jumping backwards, chucking javelins until the monster swoops. Then, the player must flee in earnest, cowering in fear at the last moment as the thing rushes by overhead. The red demon takes four hits to kill, and very likely will take your first life if it hasn't been taken already. And this is just the first of his many, many appearances. There are brown ogres that vomit purplish projectiles at you, both horizontally and vertically. Impressive. Mm -hmm. These can withstand over 12 hits from any weapon and will continue to gain ground on you, even if you fire weapons as quickly as you can. If you catch them too late with your first shot and they get to you, it's all over. Mm. Two of the boss monsters have immunities to a different particular weapon. And the last boss has immunity to all weapons, but one of limited range. Two of the weapons are worse than useless. The axe is slow moving and cannot be rapid fired, while the fire shoots in an arc and has no range. And if the player misses twice, it takes precious time before it can be fired again. The shield box projectiles, but has limited range and cannot damage the cyclops. While the javelin is moderately fast and long range, but cannot kill the dragon. The sword is an excellent weapon because it kills all but the last boss and is very fast firing. If you lose one of the good weapons and receive a bad one, you'll have very few, opportun very few opportunities to correct this mistake. Going through the game with a lousy weapon will make things even more difficult, and in some situations, it will make the game impossible. When you finally beat the game the first time, you are greeted to poorly translated text saying everything was an illusion, and now you must beat it from scratch, only with faster moving enemies. Sounds impossible? It is. Sounds like it couldn't be any fun? Uh. Well, not so fast, Dave. No? No. The reason this never gets too frustrating lies in how good the play control is. Controlling Arthur is intuitive, 
simple, and always precise. While Castlevania fans might relive nightmares during this game when Arthur is knocked back in a most inconvenient spot, there usually isn't anyone to blame for a truly impossible situation but the player. When an ogre is hurling purple death at you and simultaneously a bluebird flies across the screen ready to knock you backward to allow the ogre an opening to finish you, Arthur is capable of dealing with the situation so long as you know what to tell him to do. This is where the payoff comes in. When you waltz into one of the last stages and see the terrifying image of a red demon and an ogre sitting right next to each other, Defeating both and surviving through a mixture of skill and luck is one of the great thrills of gaming. For once in a platform game, it isn't the sheer weight of weak enemies that are designed to wear you down, making it impossible to be skilled enough to escape untouched. In this game, it is your own skill level that is most responsible for how you survive. It is possible to go through the whole game without getting touched, although... It would take an enormous amount of skill and no small degree of luck. I don't know if luck has anything to do with it. I would definitely think that luck has something to do with it because, you know, you might have fumbled your controls, but luck just so happened that it didn't ruin the run. It's a tough game. What can I say? Well, sometimes tough games are the most fun, Dave. Very true. Well, you know, I really don't know if tough was, I mean, this was a specific tough game, but for Takuru Fujiwara, you know, I really don't know if the rest of his his repertoire was tough, but he made a lot of really good games, you know. We've actually talked about Fujiwara before. He has been involved in many of the franchises that have made Capcom what it is today. For instance, he was a producer throughout the Mega Man series, and we've done an episode of Mega Man before. Uh, he produced Mega Man's 1 through 7 and 1 through 3 of the X series, X1, X2, X3. So, you know, Fujiwara has done a whole lot. He's been a game producer for a lot of their license work. These are games that I freaking grew up on, like Chippendale Rescue Rangers, DuckTales, which I freaking loved as a video game, The Little Mermaid, Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, which we own and I played the heck out of, Aladdin, and some others. We've stumbled across him uh, before in another way. 1996, he is also credited as a general producer on the original Resident Evil. And of course, we did a whole episode on Resident Evil with one of your friends before. So, yes, yes, we did. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Fujiwara basically worked for Capcom for 13 years, and then he left to form his own studio, which is named Whoopi Camp. <laughs> And to follow up on uh, the answer to a little pop question I gave you of when there was a new Ghosts and Goblins game, in 2021, he helped design and direct Ghosts and Goblins Resurrection, which is a new game in the franchise that was made in celebration of the franchise's 35th anniversary last year. Did I not say there could have been one last you year and did. I still wouldn't know? It cracked wow. me up. It cracked How me up when you said ironic. that. <laughs> it's almost like I had to have known. Maybe you read my notes. Maybe I did, Dave. <laughs> the world may never know. Well, I didn't play it. I can't speak to it. But I can speak to some of the other games in the series. 
<laughs> Shit. You know, now we're sitting here 36 years later. And we can admit that Ghosts and Goblins has done quite a bit for Capcom in the last 36 years. A few years later. Yeah, we can. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. It's probably one of Capcom, maybe maybe even Capcom's first big hit since it predated Mega Man. I mean, Ghosts and Ghouls is one of their first ones, and Mega Man made them, like, cemented them in place, you know? Of course, I suppose that's fair. The rest is history with, you know, all the others, the Street Fighters and the other stuff in the world. So in 1988, they rec- they released a sequel, Ghosts, Ghouls and Ghosts, which most people, including myself, will tell you is superior to the original. A lot of the limitations that people complained about in the reviews that we just covered were things that were fixed in Ghosts and Ghouls. It's a to me, a much better enjoyable game. They made Super Ghouls and Ghosts in 1991 for the Super Nintendo system. What else would they have made Super Ghouls and Ghosts for than the Super NES? Because every Super Nintendo game had to be Super. It was just a Super system. They made Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins in 2006, and it was published originally for the PlayStation Portable, the PSP. Rob, did you ever own a PSP? I actually can still tell you where mine is, Dave. Oh, nice. I never nice. I never owned it. Uh, that system fell with its little UMDs, right? Now what they use is cartridges? Yeah, I believe that's what they were called. Yeah, they're like mini disc cartridges. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really cool, really cool little thing. UMDs. And then, of course, we just talked about Resurrection, which came out last year in 2021. But that's not all that the Ghosts and Goblins series has done for period you know they've done a few no they've done a few spinoffs so remember that one reviewer where he talked about one of the notorious enemies in the game the red goblin uh red demon the red demon that's it yes the red demon yes the red demon got his own video game series oh really so in 1990 for the game boy they released gargoyles quest and gargoyles quest stars firebrand who is the red demon uh, one of the enemies, you know, Ghosts and Goblins, a famous one, uh, as he gained strength to become the legendary Red Blaze and protect his realm, the Ghoul realm, from the in, from intruders who are called the Destroyers. And there are three games in the Gargoyle Quest series. You have Gargoyle's Quest in 1990, Gargoyle's Quest 2 in 1992, and Demon's Crest in 1994. So an enemy out of this series got a... Um, got its own spinoff and then there's another spinoff uh as well there were two games made more recently called uh, the maximo games maximo versus uh, i can't remember off the top of my head i'm I'm spitballing right now um both of the maximo games maximo is an original character but the game itself takes place in the ghost and goblins universe It, it was meant to be like a modern reinvention of ghosts and goblins without sir arthur is kind of the way you look at it but they're more modern you know platforming titles action platforming that kind of stuff and then otherwise arthur has made a lot of appearances in capcom games he's in every capcom fighting game so if you've ever played like snk versus capcom or marvel versus capcom which i think a lot more people have played um you'll find sir arthur in those along with the Red Demon, a couple of Ghosts and Goblins characters. 
And uh, just like many of the other games that came out during the 80s, Ghosts and Goblins can be found in some comic books, some limited release comic books. Um, I, I, I think two or three limited like manga series. And then it also was found in... So Archie Comics, our mom likes Archie Comics. She still reads Archie Comics, if I'm not mistaken. But Archie Comics also uh, publishes non-Archie titles. And they did video games for a while. Like they, they published the Sonic the Hedgehog comic book series. And they published the Mega Man comic book series. And at one point, all these different comic book series had a Capcom United Worlds crossover. And... Sir Arthur and the Ghosts and Goblins crew found themselves in that crossover uh, in an Archie Comics crossover. So it's you can find it in some other stuff too. So, and then that brings us to like I said, Capcom. It did something for Capcom. It may not be their best-selling franchise, not by a long shot. It's their thirteenth best-selling franchise, uh, and all in all, they've sold over four point two million units for Capcom. So. Not wow. not the most not the most prolific, but you know that's not terrible. Four point two million copies of of the games over 32, 36 years. You know, still having never heard of it. I'm impressed. Well, you know, it did what it was. It did what it needed to do. It paved the way for other games. Probably it probably footed the bill for for Mega Man and other games back then. You know, Street Fighter, Mega Man. Street Fighter 91, Mega Man was 87, 86. Anyway. 8675309. Yeah, it paved the way for a bunch of other games back then. So we have we have Ghosts and Goblins to thank for, but I I I I don't get any enjoyment playing Ghosts and Goblins. It's hard for me to recommend. If you're glutton for punishment, which I know Rob is, you can try it and see what the hype's about. It's just not for me. Well, Dave, I'm going to have to see if it's on the Switch console and uh, pick up a classic controller then, because uh, I think I'm going to have to do it in the Prime and try it. Well, I can't say Prime because that would be the arcade title. And, you know, it's a little harder to go about all that. Yes, the NES port was good. I think okay. more pe- I think more people play. I mean, let's be honest, more people generally play the NES ports than the arcade titles for a lot of these games, you know? So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, this was no no difference. But I'll tell you what, you know, it it it's tied into a lot of other things we talked about. Like I said, Takura Fujiwara got involved in the Mega Man series, got involved in the Resident Evil series. And as I had previously noted, we did episodes on all of those. If you'd like to check those out, you can check out those episodes and more on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Also at memorycardlane.com, you can find the notes for my research. You can find um biographies for us you can find a link to a calendar where you can look at upcoming episodes and little link if you'd like to share your own reviews or memories on said episodes you can also find a um link to our discord you can also find a link to our discord where if you want to come join us play games with us talk to us we stream on our discord so you know if you want to come watch us play video games like we spent all weekend watching each other play Oxygen Not Included. Um, you can do so by joining our Discord. So come come have some fun. Um, yeah. You can also find links to our social media. That's what I was forgetting. Sorry, brain fart. I can be on various platforms 
at as David is wrong. Rob, what are you doing these days on social media? I will be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. R-I-P-Z. Fat boy rips. Well, Rob, it's about that time. You know, each week we try to tell you a story about an one game relevant to the current week in gaming history. Today we talked about Ghosts and Goblins. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. As part of our commitment to you to teach you new things, we acknowledge that we learn things ourselves. When you teach, you learn. And so with that being said, every episode we like to go at the tail end and talk about our biggest takeaway. So Rob, what did you learn today? Well, considering I had no knowledge of this game previously, I learned that there was a game that is very much like what I would enjoy in which you beat the game, but then have to beat the game again to actually beat the game. Because masochism is fun in video games. Uh, you make it sound... You make it sound just as awful as it actually is. I mean, yeah, but like New Game Plus, baby. Except not really, because your stats aren't any better. (laughs) No, really, it's just New Game. (laughs) That's funny. It's very funny. But no, I mean, it's, it's really awesome to know that there's a, I mean, I guess I don't know if the series continued with that style. It probably didn't because it would get old and, and uh, unexpected after a while. But uh, I do believe that it is a cool concept. And uh, I, I genuinely do want to give this game a try now and see what it's all about. All right. Well, you know where to find it. That I do, Dave. But uh, having already known that this game existed, I take it that you actually learned something different. Yeah? No? Uh, what did, What was my biggest take? I was surprised to find out that they made a new one of these that came out last year. I had no clue. It. it I had no clue. Uh, otherwise, it was pretty straightforward. Uh, that was probably my biggest surprise in the research. Uh, probably my biggest surprise in the research. That's all. Didn't know. No clue. Now I'm going to have to go play it. Just out of morbid curiosity. Uh, maybe not. I don't like the game. What am I saying? I don't like the game. Why would I want to play a new one and punish myself with a new one? Because <laughs> maybe the new one will be the one that kicks you into the series, much like Elden Ring for the Dark Souls series. Yeah, I got to buy some of those others. Hmm, who knows? Gotta, maybe I, this could be the same. I, def- I definitely got to. I definitely have to buy some of the others. So. Alrighty. Well, Rob, with that being said, uh, before I take it out of here, what would you like to add to today's episode? Well, Dave, as always, I just want to take one moment to say thank you so much to each and every one of you for listening. It is an amazing journey that you join us on week after week. And that's all. Alrighty. Rob, I'm going to ask you one question as we take it into next week. Okay. If... I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to utter a name and you're going to tell me what it means to you. Okay. Hideo Kojima. No, it doesn't mean a damn thing. Man, you don't know Kojima? I I I honestly, Dave, I don't know what to tell you right now because <laughs> uh I always do this crap, but you and names don't, no. you don't do, you don't do video game names. Like you don't, you don't, it's, it's not like they're 
movie directors to you. Like you play the games and the games are what's important. Personally, I think that's a shame. I think people should be more in touch with who makes them, but that's okay. I'm not going to hold anyone against that. As long as you like video games, that's okay. So I mean, Dave, what I was going to say is I, I, I don't know what to tell you other than, I mean, Metal Gear. Damn it. He does but, know. Crap. Oh, are we talking Metal Gear? The only one of his games that I actually knew? Yes. Yes, we are. Ooh. Yes, we are. So next week, we're going to learn all about Hideo Kojima, who would go on to direct, not go on, who directed most of the games in the Metal Gear series. Metal Gear series is a military action adventure video game series. We're going to look at the very first one. It is quite literally the game that popularized stealth games. It, it, it basically invented the stealth game genre, uh, cemented it in stone, if you will. And we're going to learn all about it. So Metal Gear, Hideo Kojima. I'm a, I, I'm a really, I'm a fan. I'm not even going to lie. I'm a fan. I played a lot of the games in the series and Kojima is weird enough to pique my interest. So we got a lot to cover next week. So join us again next week. Uh, normally we're popping things out of the box, but next week we're going to hide in it. On yet another trip down memory card lane. Scoop up, ba, didn't, da, boo, doo, ba, boo, doo, wow, wow.